to the J. Kim Show, Hong Kong's first dedicated podcast on investing in Asia. Join us as we survey the land and discover the greatest companies and most profitable investment opportunities in Asia. If this is your first time listening, thank you for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week with the goal of providing actionable insights to you, the listener, with every single episode. And now, on to the show. Today's show guest is Mance Harmon, CEO and co-founder of Hashgraph. The Hedera Hashgraph platform aims to be a superior alternative to blockchain by being faster, fairer, and more secure. Hedera Hashgraph has the ability to process hundreds of thousands of transactions per second. By comparison, Bitcoin typically processes less than 10 transactions per second, and Ethereum usually processes less than 25. Mance, welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited actually to have you on and uh, it's really incredible the technology that you guys are working on. So uh, before we dive into all the good stuff though, uh, I'd love to get an introduction of you. Uh, so maybe you could give us some background uh, and just some sort of personal color uh, for the audience so they can uh, have a better understanding of where you come from. Yeah, I'm happy to. So Lehman Baird and I, Lehman of course is the inventor of Hashgraph, the algorithm. He and I have been working together for 25 years. We actually met when we were young officers in the U.S. Air Force. We were doing basic research in machine learning for the Air Force Senior Scientist for Machine Intelligence. And so our our formal background going way back is in machine learning and AI and neural networks. And today what people call deep learning, we didn't call it that back then, but but it's you know deep learning equivalent. Um, we both taught computer science at the Air Force Academy. I was a course director for cybersecurity. I managed a massive software program for the Missile Defense Agency in the United States. Basically, we created a, a massive simulator that allows the government and its allies to learn how to protect its citizens and, and, and allies from incoming nuclear ballistic missiles and uh, ran that wow. for a while. Then we decided to become entrepreneurs. And so... <laughs> I left the military and we started our first company and it was in the space of identity and we sold that to a fortune 500. I served as a senior exec for product security in that organization before we started our second company our second startup again in the space of identity, ran that for six and a half years, sold it to private equity. Then, you know, the story begins to become a little bit more relevant to what we're doing today. I went to work for another identity company, a, a mainstream identity vendor, Ping Identity, as the head of labs and architecture, Lehman went to work in 2012 on this problem of trying to devise a, a distributed consensus algorithm that is both secure and scalable. And so all of this really started in 2012 in 2015, he had this major breakthrough. Today, that's what we call the hash graph. And Ping Identity uh, decided to invest in the company that Lehman and I decided to create. And, and now here we are three years later, and, and a lot has changed since then. That's a great introduction. Thanks for sharing that with us. And it sounds like, uh, well, you're obviously a very seasoned entrepreneur. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I feel like, um, just by hearing uh, sort of what you, your your track and your your path that you and Lehman took, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm happy that uh, you know this sort of technology now is is very much in the mainstream, uh, and maybe it's it's not necessarily 
uh, for the right reasons. You know, I think the the crypto explosion has has definitely uh, sort of put everything in the spotlight. But you know, nonetheless, I'm glad that uh, that that it is out there, and um, you know, it's exciting what you guys are working on. So, um, you know, I, I just quickly, you know, I mean, I think that uh, our audience is from various backgrounds of, of um, technical ability. I certainly am not, uh, you know, uh, technically uh, that savvy. But, um, you know, I think if we could maybe, as we begin the discussion of Hashgraph, if, if, um, if you could sort of walk us through um, on more of a sort of layman t- type terms, uh, you know, you, you mentioned that your 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 partner Lehman was was working on this um, sort of problem of distributed ledger technology uh, or distributed consensus at scale. Um, maybe you can we can start there and uh, tell us about you know what what exactly was he trying to to accomplish that got him you know that set him off on this this journey uh, sort of in 2012. Yeah, no, I'm happy to. So. You know, by 2012, the internet had sort of grown up in some fundamental ways. You know, there were significantly, well, giant tech tech companies, right? The tech giants is what we call them today. Mm -hmm. The tech giants existed, and a lot of the internet had sort of become centralized in those tech giants. And the social applications, the business applications that we use, they all primarily are run in a central server managed and owned by a single organization. And the rest of us are, uh, you know, sort of at the mercy of those companies that run these massive uh, product offerings today, the SaaS apps that we use today. And what Lehman wanted to achieve was the ability to change the computing model for the internet. And so today we have a central server and a bunch of clients that run on your computers and smartphones that connect to those central servers. Lehman wanted to make it so that there was no central server. And basically, practically what that would mean is he envisioned a world where we, you know, and our friends and our business colleagues can carve out a piece of cyberspace. And in that piece of cyberspace, we run business applications that allow us to engage in in business uh, functions and commerce, the buying and selling of, of goods and services together or makes it possible for us to play our games together um, without there being a central server and without having to entrust our data and our privacy with the operator of that central server. And so that was the vision. The vision was to literally change the way the internet works fundamentally so that we as consumers uh, are more protected than than what we are today and and what's interesting is that you know here we are 6 years later and uh the the problems that Lehman predicted would come about way back then and even earlier than that um we now even have a, a name for them right we call that business model surveillance capitalism where you have a tech giant that is collecting information about its users and then monetizing that often to the detriment of of the consumer and you know so so it's all of that that Lehman wanted to change he of course knew what was going on in the world of distributed consensus he knew about bitcoin and and blockchain although he recognized from the very beginning that blockchain as a technology would never be able to achieve 
the vision that he had. You had to have a fundamentally different approach that was far more performant. Uh, and if we were going to have this this type of infrastructure, then we had to make it as secure as possible from the very beginning, right? Not repeat the mistakes that were made when the internet was growing up the first time where identity and security were sort of afterthoughts, but build in the very best security from the very beginning in the algorithm that is the underpinning of this new economy and new internet that was envisioned. And so that's that's been Lehman's vision from day one. That's the vision of our company. Uh, it's all about changing the way the world works to the the benefit of those that use to you know use the internet, and that's all of us, of course. That's uh, that's really interesting because, as you say, uh, it's exactly what is basically manifesting now. When you know, especially with the the Facebook uh, stuff that's happening and all these internet giants. I mean, it's uh, it, it's interesting because unless you were in that space or a visionary like as you guys were or Lehman was, um, you wouldn't be able to see or for, 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 foresee that that would happen. You know, I mean, I don't think anyone at the time, like the consumer really cared about that. They were just happy that they could get on the internet and all these cool new applications. And, you know, they didn't really know, think twice about the data that they were giving up and when what the negative potential ramifications of that would be. So, um, and it's quite interesting that it's now all, it's starting to unravel now. So um, now just to, uh, just to have some clarity, you guys, um, I know that you guys were at one point, or you maybe still are working, we're working on blockchain solutions for sort of private enterprises. Is that right? Yeah. Well, so yeah, this is actually an important point. Hashgraph, just to talk about terms for a moment, Hashgraph, is an algorithm. There is no company called Hashgraph, but but we have two companies that use Hashgraph, the algorithm. The first one was Swirls, and this is what you're referring to. Swirls, we incorporated back in Q4 of 2015, and Swirls went to market uh, to address permissioned use cases, private networks for enterprises. And we did that First, because we knew that it was going to be required to realize our vision of how a public network network should work. Late last year, we got enough market validation behind us and enough software developed and maturity in the company that we decided it was time to, to go ahead and begin working on a public network. But those are very different markets. They're very different business models. And so we spun out a separate organization that is Hedera Hashgraph. So there's Swirls that still exists today and still addresses enterprise use cases for permission networks. And there's Hedera Hashgraph, which is the uh, company that is chartered with creating the public uh, network, the public infrastructure built on the Hashgraph algorithm. And uh, and and so, yes, the, to answer your question directly, we continue working on the enterprise stuff in Swirls and, and Hedera is focused on, on public. Okay, perfect. So, so, uh, so that's, that's, uh, thanks for clarifying that now. Um, so I think we should, we should tackle this, uh, the, the hash graph algorithm and why, why that is superior to blockchain. But bef- so before we kind of dig into that, maybe we could, uh, if you could help us and, and the audience, uh, clearly define uh, sort of blockchain because you obviously have expertise in that. 
And then you can compare and contrast that to the hash graph algorithm and why, and then explain why it's actually superior. Well, sure. So, Sorry, that's a big, that's a big uh, no, ask of you. No, but. no, no, that's fine. That's fine. And, and so maybe the place to start, if, if it's all right with you, is just to talk about sort of the, the fundamentals, the roots of the industry in total, even prior to 2008. Um, and Great. You know, I would love that. Yes. Yeah. This, this whole industry is about making it possible to have a replicated database uh, in a way that was not foreseen or possible prior to 2008. So we go back, we go way back. Databases have been around for decades, obviously. And the notion has been that there's a single organization that is running uh, one database or even a cluster of databases. And if you have a cluster of databases, like Amazon has its bookstore, for example, it's much broader than books today, but, but Amazon has its database. It's not just a single database. There are a bunch of databases that Amazon is running and they are all replicated or many of them will be replicated, meaning that they're identical copies of the same information. And when people use Amazon services, they may hit any one of those databases, you'll have multiple users, some of which are, are making changes to database instance A and some making to changes to database instance B. Occasionally, different users will change the same location in instance A and in instance B. And when that happens, that's called a write conflict. And there has to be mm-hmm. some way of resolving that. Which one came first? And right. uh, they're, they're consensus algorithms for exactly that purpose. It's for the community of databases, in this case, to come to agreement on which right transaction happened first. They all agree and they all commit the changes to the databases, their instances in the same order. And that's how you keep the databases in sync. Fundamentally, that's what this industry is all about. The difference today between what we had historically is that... Amazon would never have dreamed of giving Google an instance, you know, instance C of its books database for Google to run. That never would cross their mind. And if you want to do something like that, if you want to give a different party an instance of your database to run, then there are a set of security concerns that you have to worry about. And what, uh, you know, 2008 and Bitcoin and Satori demonstrated for the first time is that it's possible to give those instances away to different legal entities, to different individuals, some of which may be competitive to you. Maybe you don't even know who they are. And you could have hundreds or thousands of these database instances being run by a large group of of parties, and you can do it securely. And, and that's fundamentally the difference between what we had before and, and what we now have today. Blockchain is just one way, the first way that we discovered to achieve this replicated database across multiple parties in a secure way. Now, right. fundamentally, you know, blockchain as a term refers to two things. It refers to a data structure, which is this chain of blocks of transactions and these transactions you can sort of mentally envision as being the right transactions to the local database, you know, mm-hmm. conceptually. And, and so it's linear. It's this chain of blocks of transactions 
And then blockchain as a term also refers to a, a consensus algorithm, a way for the community to come to agreement about which block goes on top of the chain. And right. Hashgraph is different in that it's not a chain, it's a graph. And that's a, just sort of a, a mathematical term. But what it means practically is that instead of the community coming to an agreement on which block to put on this single linear chain, each member of the community, in our case, when they have a transaction, they don't have to wait and put it in blocks or send it uh, to, you know, to wait, wait for one party to solve a hard crypto puzzle and publish a block that the community considers to put on top of the chain. Individuals that are, that are nodes in the network, they just submit these transactions to the network whenever they want, at will, without anything slowing them down. And then Hashgraph so represents this data structure, a graph uh, that's cryptographically secure using hashes, and um, a consensus algorithm, a way for the community to take the transactions that are flowing into and, and represented by this data structure to put them in an order so that we all have the same common understanding of transaction order. Because we're not a chain and we're a graph and because of some other properties that we have, uh, we have fantastic performance. And at the same time, we have the best security that one can achieve in this field of distributed consensus. Right. Okay. So that is a very, uh, actually the, the, the example that you gave with that, that's a very sort of succinct and concise way of, of explaining that. So uh, I appreciate that. Now, I know that you've spoken before about uh, sort of uh, four areas that public ledgers have, you know, four public ledger requirement areas. Um, and in each of these areas, Hashgraph uh, and, you know, the technology that you guys have created is far superior to sort of the blockchain uh, technology. And so, you know, just to run down this list, you know, you, t you talk about technology, security, stability and governance. And maybe if you could just spend a few moments, uh, you know, kind of elaborating on each of those four, I think that would also be helpful. Yeah, no, I'm happy to. So, you know, going years back, we were thinking about what will it take to get mainstream market adoption of these public networks? And, uh, you know, we simply by observation could see some of the serious bottlenecks to that adoption. And as you point out, there are the four categories that we came up with, the first being technology. When you consider that the current generation of public networks can only process you know, in the, in the single digits or tens of transactions per second, there's just not that much you can do at five transactions per second or 15 transactions per second. And, and the use cases that are being proposed are sort of constrained by the performance. If the performance weren't that low, then the range of what you can do in terms of, of applications could be much broader. And so we recognized from the beginning, we needed to move from, from where we are today to hundreds of thousands of transactions per second. And that would be the equivalent of moving basically from a calculator to a full computer. That's the leap right. that we're looking for, yeah. right? And uh, obviously, there are far more things that you can do with a computer than you can do with a calculator. And that's what we've achieved in, in Hashgraph. And so in Hashgraph... Uh, we do expect when we launch the public network formally 
to have hundreds of thousands of transactions per second. We're already demonstrating that. There's a white paper online that people can download to look at the specific results and software that can be downloaded to replicate those results yourself if, if that's of interest. And so there's performance. And then there is um, security. We recognize that if it's the case that you know the world economy in some ways will be fundamentally changed by these platforms and you know these platforms are going to process hundreds of billions maybe trillions of dollars of value then they're going to be targeted and you know for attack everyone should just expect that to happen if that's going to happen and we know it's going to happen then we didn't want to settle for sort of the status quo that being attackers find a problem with the code base the protocol designers patch the hole the attackers find a countermeasure and find a way around the patch. The protocol designers do a counter countermeasure. It's an arms race back and forth. What we mm. wanted was to fundamentally um, eliminate vectors of attack with the algorithm at the algorithm level so that we don't enter the arms race in the first place. We make it impossible for the attackers to attack us in certain ways, or practically impossible. And so that's asynchronous Byzantine fault tolerance. That's the best um, that one can achieve in the field of distributed consensus. Theoretically, uh, it's, it's well understood what this means. What we've done is demonstrated for the first time that we can achieve that level of security, asynchronous BFT, at scale. And that's mm. uh, part of the value prop. You know, Prior to this point, going back 30 years, ABFT had been demonstrated, but only for very small numbers of nodes, and, and that was it. So there's technology and performance and, and security. Then stability. We, you know, we're computer scientists. I have got a couple of degrees in, in CompSci. Lehman has a PhD in CompSci. We spent our entire lives in the field of computer science, and we deeply appreciate the value that open source brings to the, the community and, and the market. At the same time, we recognized that open source combined with a cryptocurrency is a fundamentally different animal than what we've seen in the past. And what has happened and continues to happen is when a business manager, an enterprise business manager is considering whether they want to spend, say, $2 million dollars to build an enterprise application on top of a public platform, they mm -hmm. stop and think, I know that platform is very likely to fork, hard fork, into a competing platform and competing cryptocurrency in the future. And not just right. me, everybody knows this. I mean, it's common knowledge this is going to happen. And that represents business risk, right? Uh, there can be really bad things that happen to your application that's running on top of these platforms, uh, it, you know, your if your application state is split with the platform, all of a sudden you now have an application running on two different platforms, and the client software that uses those gets confused. And if you've invested in in the currency or the cryptocurrency because you're going to be using those platforms, now the value of that currency that is is you know directly impacted because the currency itself that the number of tokens has been doubled in some sense, right? So there are bad things that can happen, and it's because everything is pure open source. And so what we did was we made a decision at the very beginning to patent Hashgraph. 
And for years, people asked us, why did you patent Hashgraph? And, um, and, and now we're really able to, you know, to tell the world our plans for this public network. We did this. We launched it in, in March. And, and here's why we have a patent. Um, we, we want to maintain the good parts of open source, meaning open innovation, there's no license that's required to use the platform, but you know, just because we have a patent doesn't mean that we have to. You have to sign a license agreement with us and license the technology. It's not the case. You just use right. the platform, just like Ethereum or mm-hmm. or any of the other platforms. So there's no license required. And with version one of the platform, we're going to release the software, so it will be open. It will be public. Anybody can look at it. So there's, it's not a black box. It's, it's not hidden in any way. So people will be able to look at it and propose changes and, and identify bugs and, and report those, that sort of thing. But we're using the patent to make a promise, a guarantee to the market for the first time that this public ledger will never fork. We're bringing mm. stability to the to the ledger, to, to this community that hasn't existed previously. Now, we also recognize that there will be developers that just don't like this, right? There, there are developers that will want to know that if they don't like the direction we take the platform, they don't like the product roadmap, for example, of the platform, then they're going to want to fork that platform and go off and do their own thing and compete. And I can certainly appreciate that sentiment 100%. But... I think that there are a large number of developers in the market that will never do that, right? They, they have no interest in trying to modify the consensus platform itself and go stand up another competing network. All they care about is having a stable public platform that is well-managed, well-governed, and, uh, you know, and has that behind it, and they know it's going to be stable. That's what we offer for the first time to the, to the market. Then finally, so there there are four categories, right? The technology, the security, the stability, and finally is the governance model. The question is, how can we build a governing body that is the most decentralized governing body of any of the public platforms? We want a governing body that represents all interests, all constituencies, and not just for a given geography, but globally. And not just for a given business like the banks, for example, but for all sectors, all the major sectors. So what we've done is we decided to create a council of 39 members. These are the largest organizations in the world, big enterprise. They each um, represent tens of billions in market cap individually. They have the best brands, the most trusted brands in the world. They're global, you know, they have global expertise in their industry and they cross 18 sectors of business. So again, this is not just a bunch of banks. There'll be three, maybe Mm -hmm. four banks total on the council, but there'll be tech giants. There'll be insurance companies and transportation companies and telcos and retail and on and on and on, you know, the 18 sectors of business. And they're not in the United States. I mean, there will be some in the United States, but there are members today in the U.S., in Australia, in Asia, in Europe. Uh, We also in India, we will pick up what we remain to pick up is is Middle East, Africa, 
and South America. And I'm certain that we will pick up members from each of those regions shortly. And so by design, we created a governing body that um, represents all those interests. And the governing body helps to manage the organization through an oversight function. You can sort of think of them as a board of directors. Mm -hmm. And they provide expertise into all the major parts of the business. The finance committee, right, will have global experts in economics and, and finance helping us to make the right decisions. And the tech steering committee will have expertise from the tech giants in building this global platform. And legal and regulatory uh, will have oversight from some of the world's largest law firms, global law firms, to help us navigate those legal waters and and just you know the the legal intricacies by jurisdiction that sort of thing so it's designed to be the most decentralized when you think about it and you compare this to all the other platforms in the market today i mean by comparison i think we've achieved that goal i mean for for some of the public platforms there are core developers that are primarily responsible maybe the miners are helping to influence the, the organization in that way. Maybe there's a foundation with a half dozen members or, or a single company that has some number of, of owners. So by comparison, everything else I've seen is more centralized than, than our council is. And, um, and those are the four. So the, the, the four were technology, um, security, stability, and governance. And then finally, the last piece of this in terms of decentralization is just the technology itself and who is voting. What are the nodes that are voting on the order of transactions? And we think that, again, we we think that we've got the most decentralized platform in the market. There are no leader nodes or master nodes. There are no coordinators. There's no... Uh, no, there are no super nodes or, or witnesses, uh, you know, that are that all the stake is being given to. And, and they sort of is a small group vote on the order of transactions. Every node in the network is on par with every other node in the network. It's the same software. It's the same voting process. Uh, they're all the same. And at scale, meaning a fully sharded solution with tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of nodes in the network, it will absolutely be the most decentralized or distributed technical uh, solution in the market. That's very interesting and a very, very good overview uh, of those four ledger requirements. So just to sort of uh, recap, you know, you, obviously the technology and the security of Hashgraph uh, are, you know, uh, you guys are aiming for that to be far superior to sort of the blockchain and that sort of uh, technology that exists today. Stability, now you guys have a patented, uh, uh, you know, technology. So for the first time, uh, you know, developers and, and people that are building on top of Hashgraph won't have to worry about a group of developers just running off and, and forking it and trying to do their own thing. And, and obviously, as you mentioned, you know, you're not, you can't 
please everyone. You know, I, I imagine there'll be some extreme libertarian type uh, programmers that are against this sort of thing. But nonetheless, as an overall, uh, from a stability standpoint, that does provide uh, something that has never existed before. And then I, I, I really like the governance part because I think it's, um, you know, uh, people can kind of equate it, like you said, to a board of directors. Uh, so to make sure that it's uh, sort of a global uh, oversight committee um, to make sure that, uh, you know, everyone's best interests are, are uh, you know, at the forefront. So, um, so as, as we piece this together and, and get a better understanding of Hashgraph, you know, I mean, I, I, I basically see it, uh, much clearer now. Um, now as far as sort of, um, use cases that can be built on top of this platform, uh, what are some of, I mean, obviously it, because it's just the, the underlying technology, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's, there's multiple things that can be, uh, built on top. Is there a few things, um, you know, right out of the gates that you guys have already sort of built? Um, is there a cryptocurrency that you have or digital asset, if you will, that you are planning to release when uh, Hashgraph goes sort of open to the public? Yeah, yeah. So that's right. There are three initial services that are running on top of Hashgraph, the consensus algorithm in this public network. The first three are cryptocurrency with native support for micropayments. And uh, I'll come back to that. The, the second one is distributed file storage. That's what we call Byzantine. So it's Byzantine file storage. What that means practically is that when a developer or an application stores information in this distributed file store, it gets proof back that the file has actually been stored. But maybe even more importantly than that, when the file is deleted, from the distributed file storage, it gets a an assertion proof back from the community that the file has in fact been deleted, and that's important for privacy concerns and GDPR and uh, it, you know all of these. There, there are a lot of reasons where you want to know information has actually been removed, mm. and so we have a Byzantine file storage system that's distributed. And then finally, number three is smart contracts. And what we've done to sort of be backward compatible with what's in the industry already is, is we've taken the Ethereum virtual machine that is running Solidity, it's executing Solidity scripts, and we've put that directly on top of our platform. So all of those Solidity scripts that have been developed by Ethereum developers, or I should just say gen generally Solidity developers in the market, should work out of the box on our platform. So those are the three initial services running on the platform. In terms of the first application, just the, just the cryptocurrency service with native support for microtransactions. And let me explain what I mean when I say native support for microtransactions. The whole community, the whole world understands the value of, at least in our industry, I'll caveat, in our <laughs> industry, people understand the value of micropayments, the ability to pay, for example, a thousandth of a penny to somebody and do so economically. It doesn't make sense for me to pay you a thousandth of a cent if it costs a dollar to complete the transaction. Mm -hmm. That just doesn't work. And, and of course, that's where we are with Bitcoin today. So the, the industry has been looking for ways to enable micropayments and the ways that have been proposed to date have by have been done or accomplished by adding an additional layer on top that's less secure 
and uh, doesn't really achieve the vision of what we achieved initially by, by doing all this in a distributed consensus way. What we have is the ability to pay a thousandth of a penny or even a millionth of a penny with a transaction, do so economically without adding all of that other infrastructure. It just happens directly on the graph. The reason this is important is because micropayments as a as a technology or capability in a, enables entirely new business models. And the one that I like to use because people can sort of viscerally appreciate very quickly, every January, if you use Wikipedia, um, when you go to Wikipedia in January, you normally get the banner across the top and it mm-hmm. asks for right. you to donate three, $3 or $6, right? And I do that, right? I, I, I support the Wikimedia Foundation through my charitable contributions. If we had a browser, a web browser, with an embedded uh, cryptocurrency, a wallet that holds cryptocurrency, then when I browse wiki articles, the browser should recognize the cost of reading a wiki article and just seamlessly, transparently transfer a thousandth of a penny from my wallet to the Wikimedia Foundation's wallet. And all of a sudden, they now have a a sustainable revenue model, probably far more revenue than they're getting today through charitable contributions. And I'm happy to pay it, right? People generally are happy to pay for for, uh, services and product that they find of value. And uh, and this is just one example of how we can use micropayments as a capability to enable new business models that – change the way the world works. So I think that I think that micropayments out of the box are really big deal. Um, also when you have this kind of performance that we have, you can begin to think about um, other things like ad tech. you know there's a lot of click fraud in the in the marketplace today. There are a lot of companies out there that are talking about building distributed marketplaces for ad space and and combining the those that have ad space with those that want to purchase it and provide provenance information of of the clicks so that you reduce begin to reduce click fraud in the industry and that requires minimally hundreds of thousands of transactions per second if you think about the world of IoT the internet of things i think that for the the world of IoT to to ever realize its full potential there has to be a distributed marketplace of uh, things, services, and and the the ability to, for things to, of course, I'm, when I say things, I'm referring here to computers that uh, you know, like your light bulb or your washing right. machine or your car, um, to discover services provided by other things, negotiate pricing or participate in a marketplace, and just. Um, and then pay for for those services using a cryptocurrency. And when you think about a, a global thing services directory, we definitely want that on a distributed platform. We don't want a single company running that massive services directory. And uh, and you need the cryptocurrency to enable it. So there are just a lot of different, you know, some of some of which are future. A lot of different applications, sort of forward looking, that. Um, a real distributed platform with the services that we're providing at the performance that we're providing 
can begin to realize for the very first time. So it, it really does sound like a, a new and improved version of, uh, you know, from all the different measure requirements and, and uh, characteristics of, of uh, versus blockchain uh, currently. And so I'm just curious, Mance, as, as someone that is, you know, clearly uh, well into the technology space and have, has been working on these sort of solutions for, for a number of years, how do you... F- Sort of, what's how do you foresee things playing out in 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 the coming sort of decade? You know, I mean, do you see a, a world where uh, Hashgraph coexists with a lot of the other sort of bit, you know, like uh, uh, blockchain protocols, um, or do you see? Uh, I mean, obviously, there will be sort of a divergence or to to sort of the best in breed. Do you see uh, Hashgraph kind of taking over? I mean, and, and, and is that the actual ultimate vision of, of what you guys are working on? Right. Well, so look, there's a, it's a lot easier for me to say what I think will happen in terms of technologies as opposed to companies. And let me, let me describe what I mean by that. Blockchain as a technology, I think will diminish, right? They're uh, blockchain in the way that it's implemented using proof of work with Bitcoin and, and current version of Ethereum, et cetera, that's on its way out. Ultimately, it will it will be replaced. And so if we're just looking at technology, Hashgraph is better in every dimension than, than blockchain. No, no question about it in my mind. It's a lot harder to say what will happen in companies because companies can evolve – and the technology that they use under the hood can be changed. Sometimes it's really hard to accomplish. I think that Ethereum right now is, is struggling to uh, make that transition. They very well may be successful in moving from where they are today to Casper. And, and so that's, that's quite possible that they will be able to, to do that. But I think it's going to be challenging. And so it's hard to say what will happen in terms of any given company, what I can say is that I think these different public platforms will mature. And as the market matures, each platform will sort of take on a persona. You know, one platform will be the platform that people sort of view as the the platform for, uh, you know, small and medium business and maybe the startup community. And, and perhaps a different platform is the platform that you use if you want enterprise grade security and enterprise grade performance. I think that Hashgraph certainly will be viewed as the enterprise-grade platform in the market, mm-hmm. uh, and and it very well may be used by most of the startup community as well. That that all remains to be seen. And then finally, final thought here: when we look at historically what's happened, uh, you know, there there are multiple players in any given category that. Um, you know, that grow up to be big tech giants and, and the, sort of the, the mainstream companies that the internet is built on top of. I think notably, it's important to, to remember that both Microsoft and Apple still exist today, right? And right. they competed head to head for a <laughs> lot of years and, and they both are still around. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Hashgraph, clearly, Hedera Hashgraph, we clearly intend to be one of those one of those companies where we are building our intent is to build a 100 year company here we're, we're not in this for the short term this is not a a you know a money grab or anything like that we are wanting to build sort of the next generation 
uh, infrastructure that's around for a hundred years. That's fantastic. What uh, on that note? What what? Where are you guys as far as uh, sort of releasing or or you know developing and releasing something to the public? What are your sort of time time frames? Is there going to be uh, you know? I mean, obviously, this is as you said, you're building a a hundred year company. Is this is not one of these. Uh, you know, ICO flip type situations, but is there going to be an ICO or, or how are you going to offer your coin um, and this sort of thing? Anything exciting in the, in the next, in the foreseeable future that you can talk to us about? Sure. Well, so two, two parts to this one is the platform and the other one is the, the cryptocurrency um, on the platform side of things. We will be feature complete this month. In fact, oh, wow. I need to check my, my deck tech team. We may already be there. <laughs> I have to, but, but this month we, uh, we will be feature complete. We already have our first, um, partners, developers that have, uh, uh, that, that have applications they want to build on the platform. They will be, they will begin building those applications before the end of this month on the test networks, the private test networks to start. And then we will, harden the platform through the summer and into the fall. And at the same time, uh, we will sort of broaden very gradually the range of partners that we allow onto the test network. And we'll open those, you know, the, those gates a, a little bit more broadly later in the fall and, and into, uh, you know, into Q4. We also will go on the road with some hackathons. Mm. And so we expect over the summer to be hosting lots of hackathons around the, around the world and developers that come in and participate in those hackathons will be able to use the main, well, I, I shouldn't say main net, but the, the test network, the, you know, the, the closed test network, they'll get access to it. And, uh, very likely we'll maintain access to, to that from, from that point forward. So it's a big motivation to anybody that, wants to use the test network to participate in these hackathons. And the goal is by the end of the year to have general availability to, to the platform. Right. That's, that's our target. I expect that we'll achieve it, but certainly no later than Q1, we'll have general availability. In terms of the cryptocurrency, uh, we, we are domiciled in the United States. And of course, what that means is that we have to uh, be mindful of the regulatory concerns in the United States, specifically around the SEC. And, um, and so we are going through an institutional round of financing right now. Uh, and we will finish that off shortly. We expect to have a, an accredited crowd sale that will kick off sometime later in the summer with, uh, much lower, minimums and maximums on the uh on the crowd sales that you know the more of the general population will be able to just participate directly in that way and also for the developer community we are making it possible to for them to help us test the network our thought is that if the developer community is given a set of tools they use to help us test the network and harden the network then we turn around and we compensate them with tokens so that they can use those tokens when developing their own applications in the future. That's another way of getting the, the tokens into the market before the end of the year. So all of that is going on. I doubt seriously there's going to be sort of a retail ICO. Mm-hmm. 
uh, you know, what would enable that perhaps is some clarity from the SEC from a regulatory perspective. And frankly, I expect that we will get that clarity this year. I'll be really surprised if we don't have more clarity than we do today sometime in the coming months. And then we'll react uh, appropriately. If, if it's possible to have a retail ICO, uh, of course, we would love to do that. And, but we're just going to have to react to, to what happens with the SEC. That's fantastic. Uh, man, it's, you know, it's, it's been such a pleasure uh, speaking with you today. And thank you so much for, for uh, not only your patience and, uh, and your being articulate with sort of the technology side of things, but for sharing with us your vision of Hashgraph, Hashgraph and, and all the wonderful things you guys are working on. What is, uh, what is the best place that people can find you uh, or follow you or connect with you or maybe learn a little bit, about, a little bit more about uh, the exciting work you guys are working on? Yeah, so to stay informed about Hedera Hashgraph in particular, um, we have a, a mailing list that you can subscribe to through Hashgraph.com or HederaHashgraph.com. They both resolve to the same address, mm-hmm. same web page. And they're um, on the contacts page, I believe. There's another location that you can register. If you have a particular interest, you can register your interest there. We have a Telegram channel uh both a telegram channel and we have a um a uh another channel for not on telegram um but a a dev channel and then we have um um medium uh site that we use for hedera hashgraph and uh those I, i think those are probably the best of course i have a twitter account that people can follow if that's of interest and and sometimes i will publish uh, things that are interesting to me in particular that, you know, both through Twitter and through my LinkedIn account. But from a company perspective, Hedera Hashgraph and its mailing list and, and Telegram channel are, are probably the best places to go. Fantastic. We'll make sure that we have that uh, linked up in the in the show notes. Uh, once again, uh, man, it's been it's been such a pleasure and uh, a very a very eye opening type uh, learning experience for me as well as I as I was reviewing for for our chat today. And I'm sure the audience is going to get a lot out of this. And um, and and also, you know, we're we're looking forward to seeing your progress and hearing good things about uh, about what your company is is solving and achieving. So, thanks again for your time. We really appreciate it, and uh, we wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate your interest, and certainly the interest of those listening to to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks again. Take care. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. All the show notes and links can be found over at jkimshow.com. Come back often and make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. Don't forget to join us next week for another exciting episode of The J. Kim Show. I'd love to hear your comments. You can find me on Twitter at jkimmer, J-A-Y-K-I-M-M-E-R. See you guys next week. This podcast is brought to you by Hack Your Fitness, the high achiever's guide to getting ripped in under three hours a week. If you're anything like me, you're probably working a full-time job or jobs and trying to find time to balance family life, social life, and last but not least, fitness. Look, I get it. I'm a full-time investor and entrepreneur myself and father of two. 
So how am I able to stay fit year-round without spending hours and hours in the gym killing myself on the cardio machine? After struggling for the last 15 years trying every workout and diet under the sun, I finally designed a system that allows me to achieve and maintain single-digit body fat for life in under 3 hours a week. Cardio not required. Head on over to hackyour.fitness and download my free 13-page guide that teaches you the simple science behind efficient fitness and smart nutrition and gives you everything you need to know to finally take control of your life. That's hackyour.fitness.